Hi. Thank you for having me here today. And um, I'd just like to, again, welcome all of you here, especially if it's your first time. Um, I've been at the church for three and a half years now with my husband, Doug, and we've got two kids, Asmara, eight, and Wilbur, who's six. Um, I, I tried to convince them to stay in the preach today and listen to me, and um, Wilbur's words were, it will be way too boring. <laughs> so... Um, so they've opted out of this one, but you will get to listen to me. So, <laughs> um, so as Callum said, we're going to look at the practice of the Sabbath, which um, uh, Pete Scazzaro covers in... It's one of two um, practices or rhythms that he covers in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and Nigel covered the first one a couple of weeks back. Um, if you haven't read this book yet, I'd massively recommend it. I've got so much out of it. It's so helpful. Um, and also, it's really challenging. I'm sure anyone else who's read it will agree. Sorry. <laughs> Echoing, aren't I? Um, so I'm going to start with the scripture today. If I can find it. So I'm going to Exodus chapter 16, and I'm going to read from verse 22. Is it echoing for everyone else as well? Okay, just me. Um, and just to set the background for this, um, the Israelites have just come through the Red Sea. They are free. They've gone into the wilderness, and they've, they've sort of grumbled to um, Moses and Aaron, saying there's no food. And God has now provided food for them. He sent manna from heaven for five days. And each day they go out and they collect the manna and it isn't enough for the day. The next day, when if they try to eat, eat what they've saved over from the day before, it's all kind of rotted. Um, and we're going to pick up the story um, on the sixth day. So on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning. As Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Um, I'm just going to pray quickly for... Before I go on, I just, yeah, Father God, I thank you for your um, grace on us. I thank you, Lord God, um, that as we look in your word, you, you will prompt us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would um, lead us to take seriously your, um, your call to Sabbath and that we would each just have um, open hearts today as we listen. And I pray you would just speak to us, Father. Amen. Um, so I wanted to start with a little bit of uh, mine and my family's story of kind of how we got to the point of realising that we needed to um, take this seriously because it definitely wasn't something that we'd even considered, to be honest. 
until a couple of years ago. So we've been married this year for 10 years, um, and from day one of our married life, we were hurried, we were busy, um, and we had every bit of our week kind of accounted for. Um, we lived in central London, and um, we were really busy in our local church, um, and particularly Doug with his job as well. Um, so at least six nights a week, we were busy doing something. And when I look back on that time, I think I'm embarrassed to say it now, but I think I was quite almost proud of that, like it was a good thing that I was busy, and particularly that it was a good thing I was doing stuff for God. Um, and the kind of things we were doing, we were leading our small group, which was um, an outreach to asylum seekers, and we were running a simplified English Bible study for um, people who were new to London and faith. Where Doug was doing the payroll at church, I was doing the kids' work. Um, and then also my job, I was a, a missionary to the homeless in, in central London. So I felt like it was kind of tick, 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 all really good things, right? And why would God not want me to be doing those? Um, and about a year after we were married, we had our daughter, Asmara, and we carried on doing everything the same. On top of that, Doug started his accountancy qualification, and for anyone who's done that, um, that's another level of intense. So on our Saturdays, that would be Doug... Um, camped out in a local cafe kind of studying um, and me kind of carrying on effective lone parenting for another day of the week. So Sabbath was so far from our mind it hadn't even crossed our minds. This general pattern went on for a few more years and then we had Wilbur and at this point Doug knew that the rhythm of our life was unsustainable but I was yet to figure this one out. Doug changed jobs thinking that that was the issue and then he changed jobs again and then we moved out of London and we came to Swindon. And neither of us had sort of yet started to question that maybe it wasn't the job or the location that was the issue. This all came to a head when Doug fully burnt out and had to leave his work altogether and take months out. Processing this months later, we realised that this steady descent towards inevitable burnout went hand in hand with a complete disregard for both our mental, emotional, and our spiritual well-being. I had to personally confront the fact that I had contributed in a big way to Doug's burnout by not hearing his concern over our pace of life and by not choosing to live within good, God-given, healthy limits. I had thought that we could do it all, that we could keep going, and worse than that, I thought that that was what God wanted for us. Um, through all this time, I did have one friend who um, was the only person that I knew, apart from some Jewish friends of ours, um, who actually Sabbathed. And this friend used to put his Saturdays aside to rest and to spend time with God. And honestly, I just didn't get it. I thought, like, I mean, I think I was probably guilty of thinking that I, to practice the Sabbath, you either had to be Jewish, um, be ridiculously disciplined in boundary setting, um, or a bit quirky. <laughs> so this started to change during lockdown. We, like many others, were forced to stop. We had no choice, and I think that was, God knew that's what we needed. Um, we were going through a preaching series at the time called Restless, and to be honest, I normally didn't have time to engage with the preaching series during the week because my weeks were so busy, but in lockdown, that changed, and I really engaged with this one. Al preached on the Sabbath, and I, I remember just thinking, why have I never considered this? 
So that started our journey of kind of exploring what this looked like for us. Um, and just to clarify before we dive into the passage, um, what I mean by when I say Sabbath is I mean an intentional 24-hour period set apart to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship. And when I refer to my personal Sabbath, for me and my family, we've chosen to begin that on a Friday evening about 5, 5.30, and it finishes Saturday at the same time, so 24 hours later. I didn't put my timer on. <laughs> um, so... As I, as I sort of look at the passage now, there was um, five points that I wanted to draw out from it. Um, I thought this was a nice, neat little topic, and then as soon as you start studying, you're like, oh, my word, there's so much I could say. So I've, I've gone for these ones. So Sabbath as a declaration of freedom, as God's rhythm for us, as a way of actually saying no to discontentment and yes to contentment. Um, as an opportunity to grow in love. And also, I want to talk about healing. So the passage picks up just as the Israelites have been brought from slavery into freedom. And just a chapter after their celebration on the banks of the Red Sea, God calls his people to Sabbath. There's a parallel here for us, because we too have been brought from slavery into freedom. Jesus conquered death on the cross, and if we know him today and we've chosen to follow him, we have been forgiven, we've been redeemed, and we're living in that freedom. Jesus died on the Friday, and all day on the Sabbath, he lay in the tomb. On Sunday, the first day of the new week, he rose from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation. God's light and life broke into the darkness. And we live in the incredible truth of the freedom that he has won for us. We know that all is not yet as it will be. We're not yet living in perfect rest. But because of Jesus' resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of that future rest. And like the Israelites, we're still in the wilderness. We're free. But we still experience the struggle and the pain, suffering and hardship. In our journey towards the ultimate day of rest, we have the invitation of Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath. God invited the Israelites while they were still in the wilderness to start living as if they were in the promised land. He invited them to rest and enjoy God's good world. And Jesus invites us to experience a taste of that real rest now, each week. He says to us, as Callum read out earlier, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think sometimes we can think of this as some philosophical kind of rest, but it isn't that. I think, again, we sometimes think that following Jesus should be about hard work, and there's an element of that. But it was in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As we practice a weekly day of rest, we are both experiencing and declaring that freedom. <coughs> so the next point, that it's God's rhythm for us. 
the pattern of six days' work followed by a day of rest was established, we know, in the garden. In Genesis 2, verse 3, it says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. But for over 400 years until this point in Exodus 16, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt, so they knew nothing of practising this, this rest. All they'd, known for, um, all they'd ever known was working seven days a week for 365 days a year. And this is likely why God was so quick to remind them as they came into their freedom to remember the Sabbath. We measured the length of day by the Earth's 24-hour rotation. A month is decided by the moon's lunar cycle, and a year is our journey around the sun. And then there's the seven-day week, and it's all God's design for us. It's his rhythm for us, established in the garden by God himself. In verse 27 of the passage, it says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none, no manner. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Some of us may feel like the Israelites here in this passage, that the Sabbath is a burdensome requirement, another law to follow, or um, like how Nigel put it a couple weeks ago, another spiritual practice to squeeze into my week. If anyone knew about how to make the Sabbath a burden, it was the Pharisees. They had tied up in religion and so many rules to the point that they had completely missed the point. When the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath in, in Mark 2, Jesus responds, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And when Jesus made this statement, what first century Jews needed to hear was the second part of that statement, that man was not made for the Sabbath. But I don't believe this is the case for us in 2023. I think Jesus is crying out that second part, that the Sabbath was made for man. When God said, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, in verse 29, he knew what they needed, and more than they did. And the Sabbath was his grace to them, as it still is to us today. I want to quote author Wayne Muller, who puts it like this, the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity, you ought, you'd better, you must, but rather a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong, and we know it stood the test of time, we're still we still have a seven-day week. It's part of the very rhythm of life, and in the same way that you can't fight gravity and win, if we try to fight it, we will end up facing the consequences, as I've highlighted in my story. So on to point number three, and it's an opportunity to grow in contentment. Um, again, in verse 27, where, where the Israelites went out and they tried to gather more manna, even though... They'd already been given enough on day six. They had what they needed. So why did they go out and collect more? It's, I believe it's part of the human condition. We live in a time where discontentment with, with what we have is a disease that's rampant in our society. 
Research shows that despite having more than we've ever had, we are still even more discontent. We only have to look at our own behaviour to illustrate this point, how frustrated we get when we can't get what we want next day delivery on Amazon Prime. Or, you know, companies know how quickly they need the content of their websites to load before we just click somewhere else, because we're so impatient. We don't wait, and adverts everywhere feed our desire for more, or new, or different, when most of us in the West have what we already need. And those same adverts play on our often unrealised desire for Sabbath, for rest. You know, all, the, all those um, adverts advertising things like sofas and holidays, um, it's kind of playing to that elusive rest that we feel we can't achieve. And it's not just amassing more. We also live a life fearful that we will fall behind, that I need to keep going. Things won't happen without me. I won't progress. We can end up placing ourselves at the centre of our universe by rejecting God's rhythm. The Sabbath is a line in the sand, this far and no further. Pharaoh and his army are at the bottom of the Red Sea. We don't need to live enslaved to anyone or anything anymore. God is on the throne, amen? We are free. Let's not allow ourselves to be enslaved by the pull that the world and its desires have on us. On the Sabbath, we say no to discontentment and we say yes to trusting that God is enough. And number four, it is an opportunity to grow in love. The Sabbath is a gift of love from God to us and is so counter to what the world offers. There's a physical exhaustion that comes when we ignore God's call to come in and rest. But there's also spiritual exhaustion. We ache for Jesus, we need him, and yet we end up rejecting time spent with him and time that would make us more like him. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbour as yourself. But the thing is, the more exhausted we are, the more difficult it is for us to love. I can't live and love anything like Jesus did when I'm busy, burnt out or exhausted. This is the enemy's plan for us. It is not God's. Corrie ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And does anyone else notice that the other fruits of the spirit are somewhat lacking when we're run down, when we're busy? Who becomes more patient, more joyful, more gentle? Who of us makes better decisions? shows more wisdom, has more hope and vision for the future. I certainly don't. This is why rest is essential in discipleship to Jesus. Because if we want to become a person of love, a point made by Irene in last week's preach, we have to position ourselves to do that. And I'll be honest, this was a huge wake-up call for me as I was preparing for this preach. I gave you my big list of things that I was doing at the beginning, you know, for God. Um, and recently I was just thinking about actually how fruitful a lot of that was. And it was quite painful, to be honest, to think about that. The Israelites who trusted God and didn't go to collect more manna, they had what they needed. They didn't go without, God provided for them. The others who went out to collect more wasted their time. 
they worked for nothing. And what a tragedy that is. And what a tragedy that is for us, some of us today, that that's our story, that we are living with the lie that we need to be the ones to make everything happen. And I've spent years professing God's grace and sharing the good news of his grace to others. But then my living has looked like it's all about works. And if you can relate to this this morning, please hear Jesus' call to stop and rest. It isn't about what we do for him. It is about being with him. So it's so hard to love when you're burnt out, busy, or exhausted. We need Jesus' rest, and we need him. And my, my fifth point um, is that actually this positions us for healing as well. And I'm, I'm not talking in this bit about physical healing. I want to talk a bit about mental and emotional healing as we are going through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. Um, this is important because we are living in the midst of a mental health crisis in our nation. And we need to get this right, not just for ourselves, but for our young people who we're modelling to. I, th- I look back and I think, what was I showing my kids in those early years? I was showing them to ignore all the kind of signs and symptoms of their um, emotional and physical well-being. I was showing them that they needed to be the ones to make everything happen, that they needed to keep going and do everything in their own strength. And that is absolutely not what I want my kids to learn. This is the second time that God has spoken to the Israelites since the Exodus. So in the chapter before, in chapter 15, God declares to the Israelites, I am the Lord, your healer. This was a nation with a very, very recent history of trauma. We know that Hebrew human life was completely disregarded by the Egyptian slave masters. And the first thing God says to them as a people is, I'm the Lord, your healer. And then in the very next chapter, he's calling them to Sabbath. I don't think this is a coincidence. We're all in need of God's healing in some area of our life. Whether it's for the pain or the trauma that we have experienced personally in our own lives, or for pain or trauma that is part of our family history. Some of you may have started the genogram that we mentioned last week in the preach, um, where you look back at kind of what's gone on in your family history. I don't doubt for many of us who started that process or will start that process of looking back, it will bring up painful things that have happened. Broken relationships, loss, undealt with memories and emotions, illness, patterns of sin, and so on. I was challenged off the back of Callum's preach a few weeks back where he called us to seek out times of silence and solitude to listen to the Lord. And I know that silence and solitude is not something that comes easy to me. I like a lot of noise. Um, But during the week after that preach, I sat and I waited with God and I felt a couple things kind of were highlighted to me. In that week, I'd had a really good time of rest on the Sabbath. And so actually, where I often would sit and be with God, my mind gets filled with the thousand things that I need to do, all the admin tasks that I haven't done, the washing which I've left in the washing machine and needs to be hung out and all of that. Actually, but off the back of having rested, it was much easier for me to straight away just start listening to what God was saying to me. And the second part that I wanted to highlight here 
is that I realise part of the reason I don't seek out silence and solitude is because there are painful things in my past that when I truly stop and give the time to be silent before God, they start to work their way to the fore. And because I haven't dealt with them, that's quite painful. And I don't think I'm the only person who, who that's the case for today. And I'll give an opportunity for people to respond at the end if you want prayer for any, any of this. Um, I believe God's call to Sabbath slows us down. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he comes to liberate us from sickness, from sin, and from death. He wants to meet with us, and he wants to begin a healing work in us. And I believe that Sabbath helps position us to do this, to engage with this. Um, So that's kind of my five points from the passage, but I want to look at a bit of sort of practically... um, you know, what this looks like. And also for us to think a little bit about maybe why we don't Sabbath if we don't. And I know there'll be people here that do Sabbath. Um, But through conversations I've had with people in the lead up to this, I think there's lots of us that don't. Um, And and first up, I think that actually for many of us, it's not in the same way for me and my family. It's not actually occurred to us. I'm embarrassed to say that not once when we were busy burning ourselves out did the thought enter my mind, why don't I take seriously Jesus' call to rest? Jesus Sabbathed, and God rested for a whole day when he finished creation. And yet many of us, it's not even occurred to us. For you, it may be that I don't need to. So maybe life may be fast-paced, but I can keep going. I don't need to put aside a 24-hour period. That's a bit excessive. Um, I can keep going and just rest when I need to rest. A bit like putting your phone on charge when it gets that flashy exclamation mark stage, which my father-in-law gets frustrated with me about that I let it get to that stage. (laughs) Um, This may also look like a quick prayer or maybe a prayer walk um, when I feel like I really need it. And that's great, but is it really enough? For some of us, we think, okay, we already do practice the Sabbath. I don't do any paid work on a Saturday. I might fix this or tidy the garage or run the kids around. I go shopping, but I also sit down and watch some TV and I have my quiet time with God. And for some of us, we feel like we can't. So I can relate to having small children. It's hard. It makes rest harder, definitely. Um, Some of you may have carer responsibilities or a really demanding job. And so everything else gets pushed onto your weekend. We might think Sabbath is great in principle, but I can't do that. Or we think, when I get through this bit, when I get through this stage, then I will. And we believe the lie that an easier day is coming. Some of us also are living with a fear of one day waking up and thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not successful. I haven't progressed. And every minute spent resting could be a lost minute from being productive. So actually, for me, it's not restful to stop. So looking at what this might look like if we were going to start implementing it, I want to I start by saying that Sabbath is a means to an end. The end is not being able to say, I practice the Sabbath. And nor is it to be well-rested and happy. The Sabbath is to be a day holy to the Lord. That means it's to be set apart to him. It's an act of worship. 
We want to participate in the love and life of God himself. We want our whole week to be centred around him, not just the Sabbath. And the biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann said, people who Sabbath... People who Sabbath live all seven days differently. Gradually, I'm finding this to be true. It's been a process, but I'm finding this to be true for me. So I'm going to share a little bit of what our Sabbath looks like, but I want to put a bit of a disclaimer in there from the start that actually I know I'm in a different life stage to a lot of people here. Um, I have done the small children life stage, but mine are a little bit older now. And I'm aware there's people here, single, married, students, retired, all sorts of life stages. There are people who work shift patterns. There are people who are married to people who aren't followers of Jesus. And so this might be a tricky one to implement for you in your life. But I really believe it's about starting that process of making some small steps and giving it a go. And also, it's really, really helpful to talk to other people about this one and journey with them. We find that the day does require some preparation. So as the Israelites went out to gather two days' worth of manna, on the sixth day, we need to do jobs around the house. Me and Doug start on kind of Wednesday evening and Thursday evening we get a few jobs done, get the washing done, um, so that we know by the time it comes to Friday evening we can really stop. But what's really important to say is that never once has all my jobs been done. I'm sure you can relate to that. There is always something else. And this is a real practice of saying, I stop anyway, even if I've not got it all done. The first thing I do is I turn my phone off at 5.30 on a Friday evening, and I can't tell you what a difference that has made to me on this day. I enjoy time with my children more as my attention is on them. I tune into my own body more. I realise I'm actually tired at 10pm and not midnight because that blue light on my phone is not suppressing my melatonin production. I don't feel burdened by emails, messages I need to reply to or admin tasks. Um, And I spend more time with Jesus because he's not competing for my attention either, with my phone for my attention either. Um, We sit down, we have a meal together, we light candles, remembering that Jesus is the light of the world and we say our Sabbath prayers together, and then we eat a lot of food. Um, we, we always end up dancing as well. That brings us a lot of joy. It happens to be often to Irish folk music. That's Asmara's contribution to our Sabbath. But it does mean if any of you ever come and Sabbath with us, you've got that to look forward to. <laughs> um, our evenings are sometimes the four of us, but sometimes they also involve community. And then we do some kind of Sabbath activity, which is what the, the kids call it. Um, we, it's often planned by them. They'll do some kind of craft or activity that they want to do, and then we kind of weave scripture into it. So, you know, they made crowns the other week, and then we'll read some Bible story about being um, children of God, you know, heirs of God. Um, you know, we, we find ways to sort of bring that in, and actually it's quite mindful for us as adults to be involved in that. We've really enjoyed doing it. It does mean one week we did have our Sabbath meal with a two-foot balloon sculpture of Jesus, but um, that's that's all good. Um, And then we finish with something that actually Callum and Katie um, do with their kids, and we whisper affirmations to our children before they go to bed. And um, this, as Mara absolutely loves it, Wilbur gets really embarrassed, to be honest. Um, But I think it's a really positive thing, because actually we're looking to build their self-esteem, their emotional well-being, and we also use it as an opportunity to um, pray over them as well, and to speak God's promises over them. 
On the Saturday, we have a slow morning, more food, pancakes. Um, sometimes we see friends, sometimes we go for walks, uh, we often read books, play games together, Doug will watch football. Um, <laughs> and we do things that bring us delight and also that lead us to worship. Nothing burdensome on this day. And actually, you know, I'll have time in prayer, but for me, it isn't a day of intercessory seeking breakthrough type prayer because this is a day of delight and rest in God. And we finish the day by each saying what we are thankful for to, again, build that contentment. I want to I wanna say that actually when we started this, it was such a battle. We couldn't even start for like three months because I had so much in the diary. And that was part of the problem. Doing this has um, helped me to learn to say no, which I've never done. And it's an important part of emotional health. Living within our God-given limits, it's an important part of our emotional health. Often in the beginning, the prep felt like an absolute mission, and sometimes I did give up. But actually now, this has become so part of my weekly rhythm and routine that it's just become a lot easier. Um, I just want to come back to my friend I told you about at the beginning, the one who did Sabbath. And I recently messaged him, just um, asking him how his Sabbaths were going. And... Um, I said I was preaching on this, and I think probably when he picked himself up off the floor, um, he was excited (laughs) for that. Um, And he said something that really struck me. He said, I think much of the church is stepping around the sides of the grace that God has for us in this area. And I know Catherine had a word a few weeks back about FOMO, that fear of missing out. Um, and, and then she and God kind of spoke through her saying, actually, I want you to have a fear of missing out on me. And I think this is really relevant for this. I've just been so excited to spend this day with God and with my family in delight and worship. And it seems crazy that I was missing out on it all this time. Um, so I want to encourage you, don't step around the sides of the grace God has for you. Um, we've been finishing each preach with some sort of practical things you can do during the week. So just if you're up for giving it a go, um, maybe talk, um, well, sit down by yourself or talk with a friend or your family and just say, what could this look like for me this week? Which day will it be? How can I prepare for it? What am I going to do on it? And then debrief with someone. Actually, that accountability and encouragement uh, is so important. Um, and then Callum's going to send a link out as well if you want to go deeper there's a free online course that we've done um, which really helped so just as I finish I knew I was going to go over sorry Um, I want to give an opportunity for anyone here today that wants to respond and take a step of faith to just come forward and um, you know we can have people praying for you if you want prayer but it's, it's also just a sort of step of faith to um, decide this is something that I want to give a go to and engaging with. So if the idea of Sabbath feels overwhelming, but you're aware that you need to come to Jesus and rest because you are weary and burdened, please do come today and we can pray for you. Actually, if stopping is painful for you, like I mentioned, we want to pray for you as well. And if you don't yet know the freedom won for you, by Jesus' death on the cross, and you want relationship with him, please also use this opportunity to respond. I think there will be people um, 
that can come and pray for you if, um, if you want to come forward today. So, yeah, if anyone does want to come and respond, please do that now and I'll just finish in prayer. Yeah, Father God, I thank you that you have so much grace for us and such good things for us. And I pray that this would be an opportunity to experience more of your grace, Lord, and we don't want to miss out on that. I pray, Father, that as we have um, a desire to rest with you, I pray today we would just respond to that. And we thank you for your good gift and your good rhythm for us. Amen. Amen. Amen.